Hello, Eagles. So we have so much to catch up on. First of all, I hope everybody's being safe and staying warm and has enjoyed uh, the snow and the real winter weather um, from home. So a couple things. Uh, first, let me update you on our soccer teams. Our boys uh, did beat Isleta last week, five to four. It was a great game. The last goal was scored like in the last minute and a half. So it was a really good game. Um, our girls also won that night, five to nothing against Isleta. Um, boys are playing tonight in the makeup game against El Dorado, so we are, we're hoping that they bring home the win. Uh, the girls uh, don't play till Friday um, this this week, so because it was the boys' makeup week. Uh, our girls' basketball team did defeat uh, Burgess in overtime, 66-65. It was a great game, and they are headed to Seminole to play against Amarillo High Sandys for the area uh, playoff round. However, we were supposed to play tonight uh, due to weather, it was postponed. So uh, we're looking at maybe Thursday or Friday and our boys are going to be playing against Andrus on Thursday for a by-district title. So we have a lot going on as uh, basketball season is starting to wind down and heading to playoffs. Uh, soccer, we still have a couple more weeks before we even think of playoffs. And our softball boys, uh, girls, and our baseball boys have been having uh, scrimmages getting ready for their season. Last week, we tested 84 juniors for TSI. So tomorrow, we are going to be testing sophomores, 10th graders. So if you were invited to test for TSI, make sure that you show up to school tomorrow at 8.30, um, ready to go. We will have a school-wide SAT uh, test on March 3rd for all juniors. Um, again, March 3rd for all juniors who want to come in and test the SAT, uh, you will be invited to come in and take the SAT test uh, on March 3rd. Other than that, uh, mainly uh, just a reminder that if you are one of the ones that comes back to campus, whether in the pod or the hybrid, um, we do follow all the CDC guidelines and I am um, making sure that everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing, not just the children or students, but adults as well. We do miss you guys. It's still super quiet, even though we're averaging about 100 kids a day. Um, if you're interested in coming back, you need to send me an email and then we'll talk about that and make those arrangements. So that wraps it up for me. Um, Pre-registration is coming up, so start thinking about uh, those things that uh, uh, you might be interested in taking next year. And for our seniors, um, please don't forget, don't give up, don't get tired. Uh, you have to make sure you finish strong this semester so you can graduate. And graduation again is June 9th at 2 o'clock. I'm just not sure where yet. We haven't finalized those plans as of yet. I hope you guys are having a great, great February and had a happy Valentine's Day. God bless, stay safe, and if you need anything, just send, feel free to send me an email. Hi, my name is Sadie Clemens, and today my story is going to be about how racism has changed over the decade or century and how people have overcame the adversity, especially right now during Black History Month. I think it's good that we learn about this and learn about how you can help.
and try to make people feel more comfortable and to kind of just recognize that this stuff still happens in the United States, even though it may not happen in your city or you may have never seen it in your life, but it still happens and it's important that you know what it is and that you can recognize it. So if you don't know, which I'm sure you do, racism is just the discrimination of somebody, a human being, based on their skin color or their race slash ethnicity. And it has happened for so long since the discovery of the United States. Um, It's not only with African Americans. It happens with all races. It can be an African American being racist to a Caucasian. It can be an Asian being racist to an Indian. It just varies. It really does. And it's kind of based on the way you were brought up and where you lived. I mean, I live in El Paso. It's very, there's very diverse over here. There's no reason for me to be growing up as a racist. I am half black and half white. So I've never viewed anyone differently by their race. I've never, like, really experienced racism. Racism is, like, bad as I've seen other people or have heard about other people experience it. If you don't know what is going on or what has been going on, in 2020 there were a humongous outburst of protests and riots And it wasn't all because of George Floyd's death. However, I feel that George Floyd's death did spark those riots. I feel like African Americans kind of just had their last straw. And it's insane to me how we've overcome so much with racism from slavery to segregation to different bathrooms, different water fountains, different schools even, how now we go to school together, we can shop at the same place, but still there's those people that are racist and that treat us like we are below them because of our skin color. And it's just crazy to me that that's still going on, but there's nothing you can do because some people are just raised that way. A lot of Southern families, a lot of white supremacists, they raise their kids to be racist and to view um, African Americans or any other race is bad that's not their own because they're different than them. And a big step is to kind of just show your family, your kids that like being racist is not okay. It's not okay to discriminate somebody because of the color of their skin. It's not okay to be rude or to treat someone below you because the color of their skin. We're all human beings. We're all pink on the inside. I interviewed Lorraine Marie, and she um, grew up in Mississippi, and I asked her how she kind of felt how things have changed, and I mean, she's 84 years old. She's been around for quite a while. She has seen the racism. She was, uh, she's seen the segregation. She saw all of that, and she told me, like, just it was kind of it's kind of crazy to think back then that she couldn't use the same bathroom as white folk and now she can and now she can go shopping with them and 
the part of Mississippi she lives in, they're still kind of racist because it's Southern. I mean, I'm not super sure, but I know Southern or Southern states are a little bit more racist than Northern states just because of the whole Civil War type of thing. Um, she also was telling me how just she's kind of really happy that to see how far it's come because she knows it can go a lot farther. She knows that it's eventually going to get better. And will it be perfect? No, probably not. But to see how far they have come and to see how there's so many civil rights activists and there's still people fighting to this day to fight for what's right and what they believe in. To see all the protests, she said it inspired her so much and she was so happy to see young people marching and to be fighting for a right that back then nobody cared about. They cared about themselves. It was nice, she said, to see other races, other ethnicities just marching for something that really mattered um, for the BLM protests, the Black Lives Matter protests, right? And to see, she says it's shocking to her, well, not as shocking to see some people are still saying, oh, all lives matter when all lives don't matter, she said, until Black Lives Matter as well. Because she thinks that how can people be so selfish and only care about themselves when all this police brutality is going on and people are dying, people are getting treated terribly because of what? Because of their skin color. And it's not fair, it's really not, especially to see young kids having to go through that having to be treated differently and that really hurts them on the inside because they don't know what's wrong with them they can't it's not something you can change in the end it's kind of best to stop racism at its point and where it starts which is basically when you're raised and I feel like if we can do that and like kind of just start getting the children right then like it'll benefit the next generations for the better and I mean it's amazing to see how far we've come but we're not done yet thank you so much for listening and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day hello everyone I hope everybody is doing great my name is Freedom Warrior and it's good to be back once again for another podcast episode As everyone knows, and as I have said on the last podcast episode, this year has been crazy. This is just a continuum of a nightmare that won't seem to end anytime soon. Hopefully it does, though, but it doesn't really seem like it. But there have been some good things that have happened this, I mean, you know, last year and and as well as this year. But the majority has been just a mess. If you have seen or read the news recently, then you would know what happened at Fort Bliss. You know, this is just going to add a little bit <laughs> to, to the mess that I'm talking about. On January 28th, 11 soldiers from Fort Bliss accidentally drank antifreeze, thinking it was alcohol. Out of the 11 soldiers that were hospitalized, nine were released, leaving two in the ICU. I have heard that soldiers are not allowed to take any alcohol onto the field because, you know, it's, it's not allowed. And it, it could be dangerous to have an intoxicated soldier on the field. Soldiers have tried to hide alcohol in different containers from from what I've heard, okay, and what I've seen on the internet. For example, I have heard that soldiers have tried to carry alcohol in gasoline tanks, you know, to to hide it. 
In this case, there's a possibility that the soldiers may have tried to hide alcohol in an empty antifreeze container, or they were just completely unaware and thought the antifreeze looked and smelled like alcohol. After the after investigation, excuse me, after investigation, according to an article from military.com on how the soldiers drink antifreeze, Lieutenant Colonel Allie Payne, a spokeswoman for the 1st Armored Division, was able to give some information on what happened. In the article, Payne said that the soldiers had trace amounts of ethylene glycol in their blood. Ethylene glycol resembles intoxication and leaves an odor of alcohol on the person's breath. So it's somewhat clear now on how the soldiers mistakenly drink antifreeze. If you are interested in the article that talks about the investigation and goes more into detail, then the article is called Army Investigates How Soldiers Drink Antifreeze Chemical as Two Remain in the ICU from military.com. For this story, I interviewed First Sergeant Voshin from Fort Bliss to see what he thought about this incident. First Sergeant Voshin has served in the military for 21 years, and he also oversees 153 soldiers in his unit. I am so glad that I got the opportunity to interview him because he has been through a lot and he has a lot of responsibility. So I asked the question, as you know, Fort Bliss recently made national news when 11 soldiers were recently hospitalized for mistakenly consuming antifreeze, thinking it was alcohol after a field exercise. What were your initial thoughts and what did you tell your unit regarding the incident? Actually, before I play his answer, I want to give you a little disclaimer, okay? So when I was editing his audio, I noticed that my questions overlapped with his answers, so it's not going to sound clear at all. Uh, only the first part of the question that he answers is going to sound clear. So I'm going to play the first part of the question, and then I'm going to read um, what he said for the second part. Okay, so here's his response to the first part of my question. Uh, initial thoughts were, damn, how could you... How could you de degrade uh, brother and sisterhood for a simple drink of whether it was antifreeze or something like that? And, you know, this is the behavior that, you know, we don't need in the military, the, the light. You know, it's, it's still an ongoing investigation, so I'm not going to shed too much light on what's going on about it. Okay, so that was First Sergeant Voshin's answer to the first part of my question. So I'm going to be telling you what he told his soldiers. What I tell my soldiers is, you know, don't think that just because you're the greatest soldier or you're the best soldier around, that you're not going to get caught for doing unprofessional and indisciplined stuff. So it's just not something that we want to bring upon ourselves. Alcoholism can lead to many different possibilities down the road, which don't seem too positive. And the same goes for drug use as well. And I know what you're probably thinking, you know, like, why is this chick about to talk about alcohol abuse and, you know, drug abuse? Well, it's important to know how to handle alcohol and drug abuse in the army. So first, first, I asked, how much of a problem is drug and alcohol abuse in the military culture? And the same thing happened, you know, my question overlapped with his answer when I was editing. So I'm going to tell you his answer. I can't say overall military, but I'm sure it's a huge problem now, especially with a lot of states that are legalizing marijuana and stuff like that. The army has zero tolerance still for it, so it affects the battle rhythm, the combat rhythm that we're trying to maintain is, you know, in the army. We deploy, so if you're constantly doing drugs and 
we can't really rely on you to deploy with us because you have, I'm not going to say a problem, but in the eyes of the military, you have a problem. Then I asked the question, does the military offer specialized programs to help soldiers cope with traumatic events, which can lead to substance use? Um, absolutely. So, you know, we have, we have substance abuse programs that, you know, the army or the military will pay for, especially if soldiers have really bad drug issues. I, I've seen it to where, you know, some soldiers that, you know, get on LSD or get on cocaine but it, it's not like we just want to kick them out of the army because they did illegal drugs, but there's, there's programs that they use to help the soldier adapt to using the drugs. I know that things escalated rather quickly in this story, but you know, it's still good to talk about this since alcohol was involved. So just please be careful and be aware because stuff like this can happen, as you all now know. I would like to end this story on a good note with First Sergeant Voshin's response to... Is there anything you would like to let the students of Ganotheo High School know who are considering joining the military after graduation? I would suggest that, you know, being that you guys are starting your careers, you know, I, I'm at the end of mine, you know, I'm 21 years in, you know, uh, if you're if you're really serious, considering the, the Army, you know, if you join enlisted, you know, get some college out of it, you know, make the, make the time to go to college, make the time to better yourself, you know, you signed up to serve the country, there's other things that the country could do for you too, you know, so it's not like getting what you want all the time, but, you know, put some effort into it, be a hard worker, develop your mind to, there's going to be long days, there's going to be long hours, you're going to be away from your family, but, you know, get, get some education out of it. I would just like to add that I hope that the soldiers will be okay. Even though nine are released from the hospital and two are still in the ICU, I just really hope that they'll continue to recover strongly. February is Black History Month, where we acknowledge the achievements of influential African Americans who have made an impact on history. This is a very important month because African Americans have contributed a lot to history and helped us get to what and where we are today. So for this story, I decided to go up and beyond and challenge myself because why not? <laughs> I interviewed an influential person who is not originally from El Paso, but she's here now and is making a good impact. I interviewed Linda Wolf, who is Khalid's mom. Linda was born in Bamberg, Germany on July 24th, 1973. She has retired from the U.S. Army and is now the executive director of the Great Khalid Foundation. Linda served in the military for 24 years and was a vocalist in the army. So I just asked her questions that pertain to her. I just want to mention this since I can't put the whole interview in, uh, but she said at the end of the interview that she really doesn't do interviews with students or adolescents. But I was lucky because my name stood out. So I just thought that was very interesting to mention. So after the interview, I thanked my mom for giving me such a unique name. And I'd also like to mention that Linda is one of the coolest people that I have ever met. Since I'm a Khalid fan, I started to geek out just here and there and go a little crazy because stuff like this doesn't happen. So it was truly an ultimate goal that was accomplished. But anyway, let's move on from that now. I asked her the question, has everything drastically changed in the way people treat others from when you were growing up to now? Yeah, I mean, it has to be growth um, and tolerance. Uh, and I think that that took over time, 
we're not where we need to be. But um, back in the 80s, when I was a kid, it was different. And we were kind of figuring it out. I feel like today it's different because you, know, you have education. You all are taught different things in school that we wasn't taught. Um, you know, some black history and uh, who Columbus really was. So, I mean, there's there's just differences in the education. Then I asked, do you consider yourself to be someone that positively impacts society? And if so, how? Well, I hope so. I hope that uh, I can affect uh, my, my surroundings. You know, I hope that I give off an energy that is receptive and kind. I think um, everybody should strive to be that person that makes an impact on the world. And I'm still striving. Strive to be the best you can possibly be, because you'll never know how far you'll get unless you try. Then I asked, how has racism impacted your life? Well, racism is all around us. Um, because I'm a Black, um, African-American, it's a part of our fabric of life. It's something that we have to deal with. And sometimes racism can be hidden uh, with opportunities that, you know, our white counterparts get that our black counterparts don't get. And, um, you know, with uh, jobs, having somebody that uh, are going out for the, the jobs and they pick this person that's less qualified than, than you are, what does that mean? So, um, Racism is going into a store, you know, um, and being tailed by, you know, the people that work in it, thinking that you're going to steal something. Racism is being profiled, um, being stopped by cops for no apparent reason, and being being treated a little differently. So. Racism is all around us, and um, it's just 2020 brought out a lot more races. They felt like they could be more emboldened for this year, um, but it's it's something that I feel like, you know, as a nation, as a human race, we need to work on. She's right. Racism is all around us, and that is something that we need to work on in order to feel more united. And I asked a sort of a follow-up question. Um, do you see a lot of racism today? If yes, what do you think others should do to put a stop to racism? Um, like with my, with the other question, yes, I do see racism today. It's not, like I said, it's in, it's in every, it's in the judicial system. It's in, it's in education. It's in uh, zoning. It's in who, uh, you know, how much your house is worth. Um, so what I want people to do is just be better. I mean, there's not really, that's, that's just, that's just something that an individual has to, um, see within themselves. 
you know, some people need to do self-reflection and figure out what type of person they are. If they do have these qualities, they need to, they need to work on it or talk to your black friend and ask them, you know, what you could do to uh, be better with dealing with other races. It's that simple. We have to work on being better and it truly is within ourselves. We just have to do it. And my favorite question that I asked was, what's your greatest achievement? And here's why. My greatest achievement is my kids, having my children. Um, my life started when I had my son. So, and it continued when I had my daughter. So everything I do in life, um, every decision that I make is based on the, the welfare and well-being of my children. So that is my greatest achievement. And at that moment, I realized and reality hit me. And I just thought, this is real. I mean, it's just, it was really quite an experience. Anyway, and to end this special and honorable story, here is Linda Wolf's message that she wants others to hear. Be kind. Um, live to your fullest potential. Don't sell yourself short. You know, you can be whatever you want to be and do whatever you want to do if you're willing to do the work um, that it takes to do it. The last thing I would like to add is happy late birthday to Khalid. His birthday was February 11th. I hope you all enjoyed my stories and that you all will continue to come back to hear what we have for you. I'm Freena Moyer, and I'll talk in the next one. Hello, everyone. My name is Matteo Molina. Thank you for listening to the Eagle Eye Tribune podcast, the newspaper podcast of Ganotillo High School. I would like to welcome you to my segment of the show. Usually, it I usually call it the lighthearted segment because I tend to go over more positive stories to kind of cheer up your day because a lot of times the news tends to be negative and it's not really on purpose but it just tends to be very negative and very down and it sometimes can put you in a bad mood so the goal for the most part of my podcast is to just be more lighthearted and kind of fun topics but today I am going to change it a little bit not a little bit a lot because my topic today suicide prevention is obviously not a lighthearted topic to talk about but it's very important and I felt the I felt a like I guess tug in my chest since December basically to do a story on this and that's that's what I'm doing so before I continue any further um I do have to say trigger warning for anybody um I will obviously be mentioning suicide and self-harm and anything related to that everything related to that so if you have issues with that or if that is very sensitive to you and you you would rather not listen i very much advise that you skip this segment um it should be done in about 10 to 7 minutes i can't give you a specific timestamp, but you can just skip to the, the next segment so there's that so i interviewed um so with my story i interviewed someone who works at this place a mental health clinic called ehn um, Emergence Health Network, and I also have this article, which I will read to you first, from USA Today. So a or- quick overview of this article it was written by Stephen Petrow, an opinion columnist for USA Today, and he essentially 
talks about a um, student named Thomas Raskin who had just taken his life this past December of 2020. And he talks about his own experiences when he himself felt very, you know, he felt to a point where he felt like he wanted to take his life and his experience with um, his friend who took her life and how he handled that. So let me start reading the article. On the last day of December, 25-year-old Harvard Law student Thomas Raskin died by suicide. He left a short note to his family, which read, Please forgive me. My illness went today. Please look after each other, the animals, and the global poor for me. All my love, Tommy. His broken-hearted parents, Representative Jamie Raskin, Dr. and Sarah Bloom Raskin, memorialized Tommy in a lengthy post on Medium, introducing many of us to the brilliant and much-loved son. Tommy had a perfect heart, a perfect soul, a riotlessly outrageous and relentless set of humor, and a dazzling radiant mind, they wrote. He also had a secret, which ultimately took his life. At the end of the statement, the Raskins named the disease that killed their son. His depression was a kind of relentless torture in the brain for him, and despite very fine doctors and a loving family, the pain became overwhelming and unyielding and unbearable at last. Misunderstanding Depression a friend sent me the Raskin's message because she knows I've been an advocate for openness about not only mental illness, specifically depression, which I also suffer from, but also the plague of suicides in this country, which took nearly 500,000 Americans in 2018. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, the annual suicide rate increased 35% from 1999 through 2018, with the suicide rate among men nearly four times higher than women. Because of the stigma surrounding suicide, many researchers say these numbers are underreported. It took courage for the Raskins to come forward. This family, excuse me, it took courage for the Raskins to come forward. The family continued to show courage when, the day after Raskin buried his son, the grieving father found himself caught in the Trump field insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, where the congressman was present because he believed it was his duty to count the electoral votes and confirm Joe Biden's presidential victory. So that's the first couple of paragraphs. As you can kind of get a feel for it, it's obviously a little bit or very tragic, you know, it goes over the death of that 25-year-old law student. His name is Tommy. And then the writer of the article kind of talks about that. The first three paragraphs are basically an introduction to him and his family and kind of sets up the mood for later. Not the mood, but it kind of sets up the the greater point that the art, the author, excuse me, the author is trying to make. How his parents described him. You know, he had that perfect heart, perfect soul, as they put it very much so fit into that i don't want to say perfect life but you could definitely say that things looked pretty good and a lot of people in his life from the way that the author is describing it were definitely surprised and that seems to be a trend in some of these cases not all of them but some of them so moving on with the article as much as i was pained by tommy's death I also found myself vexed as I read comments on his public Facebook page because some posts highlighted wrong notions about depression and suicide. This one vlogger wrote a few years ago for a mental health campaign, people suffering from mental health problems pull a shroud of secrecy over their lives in the hope that people don't find out how they're really feeling. Indeed, depression turns us into secretive people who conceal their pain and their risk. One posted that she wished she could have been there for him, as if she had a superpower that might have saved him. It's not that Tommy was alone. He had an army of family and friends who loved him dearly. The Raskins said their son had been enveloped in the love not only of his bedazzled and starstruck parents, but of his remarkable and adoring sisters. Alas, not even that was enough to prevent his death. So this next part, 
the artist, the I keep saying artist, the author, Stephen, goes over basically kind of what I was touched upon earlier and how this kid named Tommy, he had a lot, he had that support system, which in my talk with Luis, um, that was one of the biggest recommendations that he gave for people who were having these thoughts. And Tommy had that. He had a big support system. And the tragic truth is that, unfortunately for him, that was not enough. And that that thought, I think, is definitely a painful one. But it, it makes sense why he brings that up in the next paragraph. Before I go on, I also do want to say that um, it also goes to show that you know, once they, once everyone is different, certain things help certain people and certain things don't. That's kind of a fact. And sadly, even though it definitely helps with him here, it wasn't enough to help him. And I think that's something that isn't touched upon enough. So the next paragraph is conveniently called, not conveniently, coincidentally called, being there isn't enough. I once had to learn the limits of being there in the hardest way imaginable. Many years ago, when I lost a friend to suicide, we had met at the University of California, Berkeley. So um, I'm going to kind of paragraph, paraphrase the center because it's a little bit hard to read, where essentially he talked about his friend who um, I believe she was, yeah, she had almost, she wasn't, she was basically diagnosed with bipolar disorder, disorder, excuse me, but she didn't they wasn't ever confirmed and then she had she spent a couple of years at a psychiatric ward and then eventually um she sadly took her life but the point that he brings up is that during her time because they had they were very close friends during her time there he gave her this plane ticket that she could go visit him whenever she wanted to and he says and i quote i'll read this here after her death her parents allowed me to read her journal which highlighted the things that plagued her I better understood why my calls, even that plane ticket, could not have prevented this disease from taking its course. I even thought to myself, under those circumstances, with such excellent care, I might have made the same decision. So this is definitely um, a unique thing that's not really what you're going to hear a lot when you research this type of stuff. He's essentially saying that the plane ticket was not enough to save her. And from a factual point, yeah, obviously that it wasn't enough to save her. So... It can be interpreted in many ways. I interpret it one way, you might interpret it a different way. But I think what it's trying to say is that we need to, every, everyone is, everyone's brain works differently and everyone has different struggles and not the same, not everyone, not, let me rephrase my sentence. The same things that help certain people will not help everyone. And I think that's really one of the biggest things that show up in this article. One of the reasons why I really came, wanted to why I chose this article because I felt like that's something that is not very touched upon and it's something that is very important because obviously here you know they thought that Tommy's family thought that having that support system would be enough for him and this man Stephen the writer thought that giving his friend a, a plane ticket would be enough and unfortunately it wasn't true so the the he keeps going he continues on uh, he talks about his own struggles and he kind of talks about a certain um, event that happened with the the example Tommy. But basically, a paraphrase of the rest of it. He, it's just kind of his because it's an op-ed. It's a uh, opinion, so there's kind of just kind of his thoughts and feelings about this. Essentially, what can be taken from this is that, like I kind of kept saying, I might sound like a broken record. The, these situations are very different depending on the person. What he talks about here is how some people were confused how that kid Tommy, 
he was um, encouraging people to vote in a Facebook post, like I think a week before he died, to vote for the, the those infamous Georgia primaries. And some people were confused in how he could be looking to the future when obviously he wasn't really planning to be there. And he, Stephen, the Arthur, Arthur, author says that that is a common misconception because a lot of times depression isn't really like this long planned thing that you are like not looking forward like from his experience that it's not just this like you have this long plan like for a month that you're just gonna die you're not gonna look forward he kind of describes it as something more so it sometimes it just takes over you and i feel like a lot of people could agree on that again it's not the same for everyone but it definitely in this situation that doesn't necessarily mean that you know he wasn't depressed you know just because he was looking towards the future in whatever moment he decided to post that so i just wanted to i just wanted to point that out so yeah the rest of this article it's very good if you want to read it it's on usa today it basically is just kind of this author's um personal experiences and i just the main takeaway like i said before is that everyone is different the way everyone deals with depression and anxiety and there are certain things and the way that it you know people have to handle it it's always different with everyone obviously there's certain treatments you know that can help just about everyone you know i'm not a doctor i'm just a high school student so obviously i'm not even going to go into that realm but i just thought that, that was definitely an interesting takeaway that not everyone really takes into account sometimes and i feel like we should you know take more into account so there's some food for thought now i'm going to now i'm the interview that i had with luis echevaria like i said at the beginning he is he works at that place that i said ehn a mental health clinic and he also provides a very interesting insight about specifically um el paso the community of el paso and how we have dealt with mental health and this whole situation especially considering covid and not just that but how we're you know just it caused a lot of problems so um i'll we're going to hear that right now. <laughs> Two, one. Okay, so um, you, I did some, just a little bit of research. You work for the Emergence Health Network. And on the website, it says that their main goal, or not the goal, the uh, mission is to... Let me see, I wrote it, wrote it down right here. The mission is to ensure superior recovery-based services for mental health, intellectual development, disability, and related conditions for the people of El Paso. So how would you describe um, EHN, the Emergence Health Network? Well, um, if I'm being uh, just frank with you, I hope uh, and naturally within this, this unique space that you have created, uh, I'm going to try to to be as genuine as I can and kind of leave the political <laughs> answers aside. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think uh, for me, you know, I started in the outpatient clinics providing services and, uh, you know, working with the individuals that receive services and those people that are, you know, really affected by mental illness severely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a, uh, it is, it's been a unique opportunity to be able to provide hope not only to that individual that I'm working with, but to their families. You know, um, absolutely. It, it, it's a uh, it's been an interesting journey. 
and and I'm very blessed to be in this position, man, because um, I, I'll be honest. When I was uh, going through my my education career, I had uh, I had a unique, uh, you know, doubts as to where my journey was going to take me. Right. And ultimately, I just wanted to be in a position where, you know, we're of impact to somebody. And here at Emergence, we're able to do that. You know, create some sort of impact to, you know, the individual in a positive way that mm-hmm. it allows function, man, whether it be carry out daily activities, whether it be carrying out relationships or being successful um, at whatever they choose to be. I think Emergence does a really good job at doing that. Okay. Wow. Yes. Um, that I do agree that, um, or not I agree, but that makes a lot of sense in that I think just to kind of um, like, you know, go more about what the the purpose, or not purpose, but the goal, like you said, of EHN, Emergence Health. So kind of jumping off from that, how, um, how do you think COVID has affected mental health? So this is a little bit different, but in your opinion and like as with your experiences, how has the coronavirus and all of that affected mental health like in general? Well, you know, um, in, in our community, individuals, um, and mental health, the topic of mental health was not something that was uh, openly talked about. Um, I think actually previous to uh, the, the current situation we're in with COVID, mm-hmm. previous to that, a very unfortunate event, like August 3rd, uh, created this, right. you know, the conversation like, hey, we need to deal with individuals' uh, mental, maybe prioritize individuals' mental health. You know, mental health is just kind of being healthy in general. Yeah. And after that major event, I think uh, it became something, uh, you know, that was a lot talked about. And now when COVID happened, you know, I'm fortunate now to be participated in the community education department. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you, at least from my end, I get a lot of requests for people saying, hey, you know, uh, we've never considered, uh, you know, approaching emergence for, you know, this type of talks or workshops. But, you know, our teachers, our staff, you know, our workforce is dealing with a little bit of uncertainty, maybe anxiety, mm-hmm. maybe uh, increased stress. Can, can you come in here and talk to them? And I've been able to do that, fortunately, um, provide some tools and some, some resources for people to kind of like, you know, uh, take initiative and, and prevent any future, you know, complications that could potentially turn into an illness, right? Right, exactly. Um, what I've seen personally is that, you know, uh, I feel like a lot of people focus on, uh, you know, how really has COVID affected the community's mental health and how has it increased challenges? But in my opinion, I guess I got to praise our community because they're the ones that are like reaching out and say, hey, you know mm-hmm. what, can you prepare us, man? Because we want to prevent any future problems. And I, I, I've got to praise El Paso for doing that. Uh, many work workplace uh, managers that are like looking after their staff, man. Like I, I feel like, you know, instead of focusing on the negative, I, I really want to focus on the positives and, and how how well uh, El Paso has adapted. You know, that's, that's mm-hmm. very good, a great thing to see. Yeah, that that is a very good point. Um, you there's, it's kind of like the mentality thing. So obviously, COVID did a lot of damage and a lot of horrible things, but they they also 
there were positives if there you can ask people and i guess in this specific situation just like you said it kind of brought out it brought our community or the community of el paso kind of together and it i guess like you said helped them um reach out so that's that's a that's good that's very that's a very good thing to know i did not know that so kind of what you were talking about the courses and all that i looked um when I was preparing for this, my friend sent me one of the pamphlets, and I noticed that you have a one-hour course on suicide prevention. So, how would you describe that to anybody who's interested in taking that? Uh, yeah, yeah, we, we actually, uh, my department does have uh, that course. It's uh, called the uh, Suicide Prevention As Plus K. Mm-hmm. Uh, that course is really uh, more than anything. It's informative, but it gives you an action plan. You know where. If you uh, have an individual in your life that you're concerned about, or maybe you know you feel like there's something going on there, and you wanna find a way to, you know, be a lifeline, create a sense of hope, I feel like this program gives you that tool, that action plan that you can actually, you know, implement and give that individual a chance. You know, so um, for those that wanna, you know, be a little. Maybe they wanna. They're interested in being prepared. Maybe they're interested in, you know, kind of like, you know, CPR and first aid. You always wanna take those courses to be prepared in case something happens. Right. Yes. Right. You wanna get those tools to be prepared in case, you know, you never want it to happen, but you never know. And you you wanna have the tools and you wanna have the ability to say something and save the the person you care about. You know. So I think it, that's the best way to describe it. You get a tool. You get kind of like. You know, the, the feather on your cap, and, and you can actually mm-hmm. take action. And uh, we do try to do the best we can to prime people to prepare them. And hopefully, they never have to do it. But uh, uh, once they complete the program, they do get a certificate of completion that certifies uh, that they know the action plan and they actually can implement it. And they went through all the scenarios and everything. So I encourage people if they have a chance. Uh, we have. Many uh, we have other programs that are less yes. uh, uh, again, uh, sensitive mm-hmm. and, and uh, really look into that. But I, I think it's important to uh, challenge yourself to have that conversation, even if the topic is a little complicated or complex. You know. Yeah, that's also something that's true. Because for a long time, it was a stigma, it wasn't something that people brought up a lot, and I guess that led to um, a lot of issues. So. My next question is similar to that, the, the classes that you guys provide. So in case maybe someone is too shy or, you know, because the coronavirus, someone who can't show up to one of those classes, even one of the different ones that you guys provide, what is just some like advice or tips for people who want to help their friend who they fear may have struggled with suicidal thoughts or something? Well, like, what are some, like, some advice or some tips? You know what? That's a, that's a great question. And forgive me that my, my neighbor just turned on their car. So that's okay. <laughs> um, but if I'm being honest with you, um, I, I always, during the classes, we talked about many things and what contributes to, you know, having a healthy mental mental state. And uh, a big portion of it, I always talk about it, right? What's available. We have... Um, professionals that are available when it comes to therapy we have medication that's available but I'll tell you and I always say the same thing um, I've worked with people with the most severe symptoms the most severe uh, uh, 
disorders, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're out, unfortunately. And I've seen them decompensated. And I'll tell you what, those individuals were able to recover. And it wasn't because they went to therapy once a week or because they took their medication every day. Mm-hmm. It was a combination of things. But the most important thing that they had was a sports, you know? They had people that allowed them to continue their work at home when things got hard. So the biggest advice I give people, if they don't want to participate, I would say is just pay attention, right? Pay attention to those people you care about. Uh, I, I get held accountable often. And it's like, you know, we, we sometimes it's difficult for us to disconnect from work, from our from my social networks, from, you know, things that are passions to us. Mm-hmm. But you need to put, you know, put those things down and really focus on those that we care about to, you know, potentially, you know, if things are hard, you can capture that and have an opportunity to talk about it, right? Yeah. That's really what the main thing is. Yeah, that's definitely some, not enough people, or not enough, but... A lot of times those kind of the signs, I guess, could get lost in the cracks. And if you're really paying attention, I guess you could catch little things. You know what I mean? So that's. Yeah. I mean, think about you, if it's your peer, if it's your sibling, family member, who knows them best than you? You know, you're Mm -hmm. living with whoever something comes up, you kind of notice change. So, um, yeah, I encourage people to kind of, you know, take action and pay attention, right? Mm-hmm. And kind of in the same topic, would you say that, would you, I think, like, I guess for people who still feel awkward, like if one of their friends tells them all their problems, I think the best thing to do, correct me if I'm wrong, is kind of just being a listener, just being there. Yeah. Like if you don't know anything else to do, then just, just simply being there, right? Yeah, sometimes there's no, and, and I always say that too, uh, when I when we have these workshops with professionals and like people that have those those letters after their name, right? They have their licenses. I tell them, listen, like as professionals, you are trained to be problem solvers. Sometimes, especially with dealing with the people you care about, you kind of have to just you know listen and hold any thoughts and comments. Just listen to them rather than try to solve their problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, have them figure out their own way, but. At the moment, when they're most vulnerable, just take some time to listen. You'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely something Something that's not... I mean, it's talked about, but it's definitely something that, I guess, is very important. So, let's see. My next question, so kind of the reverse of the question that I asked. What are some tips or advice or whatever you may call it for the youth or just the people in general, not just the youth, um of today who are struggling with their mental health whether it be depression anxiety i guess if because this will go on my podcast so what would you have as advice for them for people who are struggling well with that? i'll tell you um when it comes to mental health it's like everything it's, just, it's, it's almost like a, a skill that you have to work at you know and um because the topic of mental health does have some you know, some stigma and taboo attached to it. Still to this day, I feel like some people might live it as something that they'll deal with eventually. You know, it's yeah. kind of like, hey, I'm a toothache. I'm trying to get a dentist appointment in a week. No yeah. less in a week. Mm-hmm. But if I'm struggling with like grief, I'm struggling with with something that's really taking my sleep. Uh, I might 
just leave it and say, you know what, I'll deal with it. Maybe I'll drink some alcohol. Maybe I'll just, you know, uh, try to cope in, in ways that are, might not might not be healthy. Yeah. And, and it, it, it's a skill, you know, it's something that you have to learn, you have to practice. And if you don't have those skills, you have to meet with a professional mm-hmm. to give you the once you get those skills, then you, you don't have to go back to the professional, but you gotta start somewhere, you know. So yeah, um, my biggest biggest thing would be, you know, don't ignore it and mm-hmm. and uh, and really work at it, deal with it, and you know, uh, do it in your own way. Don't let anybody tell you how to do it. Do it in your own way. That's 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 totally fine. But don't ignore it. You know, take take action. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I think that that would be very helpful. I think. Because like you said earlier, how some people get really caught up in work or school or just whatever that that can also, I believe, help. I mean, not help, but that also I feel like gets in the way some people having to deal with certain things. I mean, there's a lot of factors, but that's definitely that would help a lot if people were. Yeah, I mean, think about somebody that might be, you know, you talk about COVID, right? Mm -hmm. Some people today are are grieving over over the people they've lost, you know, And, and if you if you say, well, I'll just deal with it by staying occupied. Well, are you really dealing with it? You know, mm-hmm. when you go, when you are not busy no more, guess what? You're thinking about it, right? So you have to kind of give yourself the opportunity to work at, you know, finding that recovery, finding hope and, you know, becoming complete, I guess, in a way. Um, but, you know, it doesn't happen by just getting right. overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. It might even uh, cause you even more problems yeah that yeah that's actually very uh, very true so the last question i have here um so i when i looked did some research i saw that the ehn network had its own hotlines so aside from those hotlines what hotlines or phone numbers would you suggest for struggling people listening well you know uh currently we're fortunate. The, the state of Texas uh, has been able to set up a system where people that, you know, do not suffer from mental illness, severe mental illness, and I'm talking about like potentially, you know, major depression, bipolar disorder, things of that nature. Uh, those are diagnoses that you really have to be struggling with. Maybe you've been hospitalized in the past. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about like, you know, mild anxiety, maybe right. chronic stress, things that are not, you know, major illnesses. Uh, the state of Texas set up a line. It's uh, 915-779-1800. This line, people can call and request a, um, a crisis counseling. Um, it's a crisis counseling clinic. And they have access to working with a therapist through the phone for free. Mm. So that would be perfect because we're talking about, you know, getting those skills, right? Yeah. are trying those skills and then later on practicing them on your own. That's perfect. You can call, get the skills. And then when you're presented with that stress, with that that trigger that causes you anxiety, now you know how to deal with it. Now you can actually practice, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, that's, a, that's a, a number that I encourage people, especially, you know, because it's free. You don't need Medicaid, Medicare. You don't need uh, insurance. Um, they'll provide you the service. Also, that same line, the 779-1800, if you don't want the crisis counseling clinic, that's also the crisis hotline. So uh, you would have to uh, tell the operator when they answer, hey, you know what, I, I want, I'm in a crisis right now. I don't want to talk to you. I, I, need, I need help. That's also the same line. So depending on what you need, 
you can get access to the crisis counseling clinic, which is free therapy to those that might need it, but they're not interested in getting services, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Or you could also get the, the crisis services if you're in, if somebody is in a really bad spot, let's say the friend or, or a peer, you know, you, you wanted to talk about, you know, what was your concerns and things get kind of bad, then you can call that line and, and get a, get a lifeline, really. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I didn't know about that. That would be very helpful. Um, especially yeah. like how it's the two versions or like you don't need the services if you don't want it. It's like not that bad or if it is, um, that would, that's very helpful. Well, that is about it for the questions, I think. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for like, I know we kind of planned this for a while, but this will really, really help me on my story because the whole suicide prevention thing, it's something that is really close to me. So I wanted to like make sure I did this at the, at the right angle. You know what I mean? because I don't want to, it's a sensitive topic, like you said, and I want to make sure to maneuver it like the right way. Yeah, it is a sensitive topic, but it's a, a topic worth talking about, mm-hmm. you know, as those survivors. So yeah. Definitely worth talking about. So thank you for doing this, yeah. inviting me. Mm-hmm. And thank anytime you. you have a question about anything we do or any of the services we offer, let me know and I'll, I'll be happy to help you out. All right, thank you so much. Thank you. You have a nice evening. Thank you, you too. Well, thank you very much, Luis, for the interview. I'm going to say that again. Um, That was definitely a very good interview. One of the best that I've ever had. And I have to really give him a shout out. Very good man. And like he said last few, if you ever have a problem... I will repeat the hotline that he gave me, 915-779-1800. That's again, 915-779-1800. So that it's, there's, it has two uses, um, the crisis counseling line. So that is, if you have a um, an issue, but you kind of just want to talk to counselors like the way that he described it, and you don't really want the whole, you don't really want the people to get involved. But if you do have a crisis, you can also call that number. You just tell the operator and they will help you out with whatever situation that you need. I also want to um, mention once again, like I did earlier, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. The number is 800-273-8255, 800-273-8255. That in case, if you know anyone, if you ever have that, if you're ever in that situation, write this down or if you who knows if you're struggling everyone's situation is different i don't know i just that's always there and they will absolutely help you or a friend that you know in this type of crisis so i just need to get that out there and yeah that that was my segment i hope you guys enjoyed this and i hope that anyone who's feeling this type of way felt heard or seen or maybe had some questions answered reach out to anybody else like teachers counselors anyone there's a lot of people to talk to if you need this kind of help in general so yeah um thank you so much for listening and let's move on to the next segment hi hi thank you very much for this um mm-hmm. all righty so yeah i'm just gonna ask you questions you just say what your answer is or whatever and uh yeah okay yeah, on whatever. wait okay um will, will they see my name is joe <laughs> uh no, they're not gonna see your no, they won't see your name is Joe. Oh, okay, good. 
Um, okay, so yeah. Um, so yeah, three, two, one, blah, blah, blah. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to my segment of the podcast. I know you're super excited. Hopefully. Alrighty, I'm here with Grayson Fant. And today, we're going to talk about Black representation in modern media. So it's like movies, comic books, and all that kind of jazz. Uh, so, yeah, I, I know that I mean, there's more races than Black, right? Uh, but it's Black History Month, so I'm just focusing on that. Um, so, yeah, I'm here with Grayson Fant. Uh, hi. Say hi, Grayson. Hi. He's a great guy. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's fun. Um, okay, so my first question uh, for you, Grayson, is uh, do you think it's important to represent Black people in oh, media? Oh, get out of my room. Sorry. Wait, can you cut that out? Can you, can you cut that out? I cannot cut that out, but I'll just repeat the question. Do you you think it's important to represent Black people in media? Yes. Yes, I think it is. That's a very informative answer. Thank you. No problem. Anytime. (laughs) Um, So a lot lot of the time what happens in uh, movies and TV and all that, a character is, um, they're like white originally, Mm -hmm. but they change the race of the character in the movie right mm-hmm. um do you think that sometimes that's a bit um forced or do you think that when they do that they do it correctly um personally i think i think it's a great way i think it's a great way to introduce like the same character but in like a a, a new light like with a uh, nick fury and marvel I think they did it. I think they did a great job with that one. Do you think there's ever been an instance where it just completely felt flat? You you need to you need to give me an example because I only I don't um, know that one. I don't know Nick <laughs> Well, um, in the movie, um, you know what? I'm gonna be honest here. I can't think of another movie where they change the character <laughs> race um so thanks for that answer um, mm-hmm. do you sometimes do, do you sometimes feel like it's uh like do you sometimes like feel like uh like a black character isn't how do you put it like <clears throat> they're not depicted right i guess like not depicted right like, like they don't how did, how did, I'm trying to find a way to put it. <laughs> like, is it great? Yes, this is for a grade. Oh, do you no. think that, that it can be used for just for ticket sales? Are they able to just change the character's race for a ticket sale? Yes. Does that like... How do you feel about <laughs> that? Like, Hollywood basically using everybody. Um... I think I think it's very I think it's trash. Honestly, I think it's trash because they're saying that in order to get more money, they need to like they need hmm I don't know how to put this, but like they just need to rope in a black person, and I don't know why it has to be a black person. Like there are other races, 
And I don't think they need to rope in someone. Like they just, they can just leave it the way it is. Mm-hmm. So, do you think that sometimes the characters are written poorly, like their whole person personality or their whole character is that they're black? Do you ever feel like that? Do I feel like that the black people in movies are written poorly just because they're black? Yeah, like do you ever feel like there's like sometimes that there's characters that are written poorly and like they're written poorly because they're just like their whole thing is that they're black? Um, no. And the reason why is because I think that Black people as in a race have been through a lot. And let's say a movie producer to just write a black person poorly would be like to to almost say that black people in movies don't really matter. And I know that they've done that before, but we've we're in a new age where people have given black people a lot more respect than in the past. And to write a black person poorly would be like a slap in the face to our race. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I get you. Um, Sometimes in movies, uh, well, for instance, 1917, the movie, a World War I movie about two soldiers who like have to deliver a message all across Europe. Well, not really all across Europe, but, you know, they have to go deliver a message, but they have to like walk a lot (laughs) Mm -hmm. and in that movie there there's one woman character and there's no people of color and believe it or not on a certain social media platform i will not say which one twitter um they were upset that there was no that there was not enough woman representation in 1917 not enough uh people of color in 1917 so how do you how do you feel about that how do you feel about unrealistically putting characters in certain situations i mean i think it's i don't think it needs to be done like i really think it's unnecessary like if if you order a pizza right and you and you want it to be pepperonis and cheese and like a a normal pepperoni pizza and then the waiter he gives you your pizza and you look at it and then you have pineapples on it you're you're not gonna like you're not gonna like it right you're like "I, i didn't order this but then the waiter's all like, hey, I, I thought it needed to be done. It just felt right to me. I, I think that's really stupid, and it doesn't need to be done. I think it will ruin the flavor of the pizza. Even though I like pineapples on pizza, I think it will ruin it. Okay. Now, the same thing can be said for, like, uh, Black Panther. Like, you say, um, oh, there's not enough white people in Black Panther. Well, you know, it doesn't make sense, you know. Like, mm-hmm. it's a movie set in a remote African country of course there's not gonna be any white people you know yeah anyways um so throughout 2020 there was a lot of movies that had that there were there were black stories the uh, five bloods one night in miami uh, molly rainey's black bottom um do you think that how do you how do you put it <clears throat> I, I need water how do you feel about those movies um, coming out during like all this, uh, you know, everything going on in the world with, you know, the world's on fire and all that. Mm-hmm. Do you think that it was, um, 
not necessarily a good time to release the movies, but like, I'm struggling on ways to put it again. Um, <laughs> it's okay. They need to continue. They need to continue with making um, black-led stories like this. Yes. Yes, I, I think they should. Because it really gives black people... Wait, no, no, I'm struggling. Um, it... <laughs> how, am I, how am I going to say this? I think, it, I think it's great for black people, okay? That, I don't know how to say it any other way. Mm-hmm. I know there is, but... Hey, I'm only 14. I'm, I'm okay. Um, so... I completely lost my train of thought. Ah, yes. So, do you think that these? Do you think that they were just released during this time, um, because of, of everything that's going on? Do you think they just got greenlit because, oh, you know, well, black people, we need that right now? Or do you think that these were genuine stories? Um, they were written because you know, they were genuine stories. I think. Hmm. I think. I think both. I think both. Okay. Genuine stories because, you know, they they are genuine stories. And they're great stories. Like One Night in Miami, amazing movie. That was a great movie. Um, what do you think? <laughs> oh, sorry. Keep going. Keep going. Keep what going. was the other part? What was the other part of the question? Um, um, do you think that they were just being released because everything's going on? Or do you think that they were released because... Hollywood genuinely felt that they were good stories that needed to be told. Okay. Oh, yeah, I said both because um, they're being released. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I I said both. I said both. Okay. Um, do you think there's a line where it just goes from representation to just straight up pandering to the audiences? Do you think it just goes from like? Do you think there's a line where it crosses like? Okay, yeah, this is like a cool character, you know. He's not defined by his race; he's just a cool guy, right? Mm-hmm. To, um, like, this character is—he's black, and people like that right now. So, money, please. Um. Uh... Next question. No, I'm joking. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um. <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. Do you think that they're, the Hollywood is currently doing a good job of, like, uh, representing people of color? Do you think that they're doing it right, at least? Mm, okay, so, I mean, I'm trying to think about all the movies I've seen with Black people in them. It, it's it's last year, right? Twenty twenty, right? Or just like yes. in all time? Or just, yeah, just like all time. all time. Okay, so obviously, later in like past years, they were doing a horrible job, horrible. Um, with, with cartoons and movies. Now I I they they started to pick it up a little bit. Well, not a little bit. They they started to pick it up a lot. They started to pick it up a lot. More representation in movies and TV shows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, 
Do you think there's going to be a point in time where how do you, how do you put it? Do you think there's going to be a point in time where it's just black-led movies? Kind of like how do you how do you put this without sounding like a white supremacist? <laughs> Guys, I promise I'm not a white supremacist. He's not a white supremacist. Um I know. Um Do you think there's a time where the tables will kind of turn to where it's going to be more people of color in charge of everything and less like white people? Or do you think that we're going to be able to find a balance between the two? I mean, we're, we're, we're already starting to find the balance because of uh, Jordan Peele. I, I think that's the name, Jordan Peele. Jordan yeah. He made two horror movies, and he is an African-American male, and they were great movies. And then also, there are more black movies, and they were great movies, made by a black director. Is this answering the question? I feel like I'm not answering the question. No, no, you're, 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 doing, you're doing great. <laughs> um, yeah. So my last question is, um, <clears throat> do you think there's something Hollywood could do better when it comes to representing black people and other people of color? Well, okay. I feel like they shouldn't, they, they shouldn't cast the black people with like huge lips and, and giant afros and tall. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Cause there's a lot of, a lot of those kind of black people. I'm not saying they're 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 bad. It's just like people like like growing up like kids will associate black people with big lips and um afros tall and because that's what they used to do in um later earlier years. Later earlier years, yeah. Earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you just want them to <clears throat> like not be so stereotypical. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Yep. That's the word. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thank you, Grayson. Um, I don't think I mentioned before, but Grayson, he is a he is a black student at Netches. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. I know. I don't know really anybody from CHS. I'm very sorry. He lives yeah. a sad life. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So thank you very much, Grayson. Uh, and thank you very much, everybody else. Um, so, yes, I will see you in my next segment. Peace out, home yes. slice. Bye. Home sizzle. Oh, Jesus. Yo, dog, was good? <laughs> Hope Ryan gets an A. Okay. It's, it's done. It's done. Um, okay, <laughs> thank you very much, Grayson. You're you're a great person. You, like, probably saved me. All right, thank you. All right, uh, goodbye. Terrible. Friend. I did terrible. Super Bowl 55. It happened. There was a game. The game was played. Yeah, um, I may have overhyped it in my last segment. I said it might one of it would be one of the greatest Super Bowls of all time. It was not one of the greatest Super Bowls of all time, but uh, well, to me, maybe I'm a little biased. I'm a Patriots fan, so I was rooting for Tom Brady, and I'm really happy for him. The guy has seven Super Bowl rings. He has more rings than any. Um, he has more rings than any NFL team ever. The 
the record right now. It's tied with the Patriots and Steelers for six, which is wow. <laughs> and people still want to say that Tom Brady isn't the greatest of all time, which he totally is. He's the greatest of all time. There is no denying it. Um, he showed who the real number 12 was in the NFC Championship. He he uh, he sent Drew Brees home for the last time, which is kind of sad. Um, so yeah, Tom Brady was great in that. The final score was 31-9, to so it wasn't very eventful. Well, it was kind of eventful, at least for the Buccaneers. It was a blowout. Um, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, wow. His like whole team disappeared on him. He was like the only person that was trying, which is... Very sad. You can just see the pain in his eyes. He just wasn't having it. To be fair, he, he didn't get any blocking. Um, he I think he had two interceptions. I may be wrong. Um, and his throws went right through his wide receiver's hands, which is also very depressing. So, yeah, sad day for Chiefs fans. If you're a Chiefs fan, don't worry. You'll be back next year. Tom Brady will probably beat you again. Hopefully that doesn't age poorly. It's probably going to age poorly. So, yeah, that, that, was, that was the Super Bowl. <laughs> you know, what's crazy. Tom Brady's daughter has held more Super Bowl trophies than any Cowboy players in the last 20 years. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just very funny. Um, Tom Brady has won seven more Super Bowls than any Cowboy players in the last 20 years. That's just really funny to me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you're a Cowboy fan. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Tom Brady was a free agent last year. Rob Gronkowski was retired. Antonio Brown was in jail. And yeah, those three. And now, a year later, they won the Super Bowl. Which is very wow, honestly. Very, very wow. So yeah, there's really not much to say about the Super Bowl other than it happened. There was a Super Bowl. It's done. <laughs> So yeah, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are your 2020 Super Bowl or 2020-2021 Super Bowl champions. So go Buccaneer fans, I guess. <laughs> Tom, come back. What's up, everyone? My name is Jordan, and today we're going to be talking about the $24 million piercing that Little Uzi Vert got. So Little Uzi Vert recently got a $24 million piercing. So on January 30th, the official Elliot Alina account, I'm sorry if I can't pronounce any of that with names, posted a picture of Uzi with the diamond held up against his forehead, and the caption said, It's time. Today, screenshots of a FaceTime conversation between Uzi and the CEO slow, slowly have emerged that appear to show the diamond seal to his face. Slow captioned one of them. He really went in and did it. $24 million on his head. Uzi is a goofball and an own troll, so he could be playing an elaborate prank on his fans. But the video of Uzi in the booth that Elliot posted on Instagram makes it look incredibly legit. Not only is it stuck on his head, but there appears to be some dried up blood around the corners of the diamond, which is kind of gross. The surrounding skin looks a little bit irritated. Yeah. Twitter has been making clowning Uzi, um, making memes like the Thanos ripping out the vision, like Infinity Stone meme. But it doesn't seem to bother a little Uzi Vert. But that's all everyone's been talking about lately. He's also been previewing, previewing some new music with this diamond. So I'm looking forward to that. And that's about it. Thank you for DJ Academics and No Jumper for all my sources.